Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week we watched The Favourite, directed by Yorgos Lanthimos and released in 2018. The plot of The Favourite goes something like this. In early 18th century England, a frail Queen Anne occupies the throne and her close friend Lady Sarah governs the country in her stead. When a new servant Abigail arrives, chaos ensues. And as we usually do, we'll do a bit of a spoiler-free section on The Favourite uh, before we go into talking about spoilers under a warning. So, Katie, should people see this movie? Um, I guess if you like this sort of thing. I'm not going to go around advising that anybody who is not into, I don't know, quirky period comedies <laughs> go see it mm. um, because I don't know how much you'll enjoy it. Um, it's a bit strange, but much less strange than I thought it would be. Much less, much more accessible than something like Killing of a Sacred Deer, yes. for instance. And often genuinely funny with some really good performances. Felt like it was a bit long. <laughs> there were a, a lots of times that I was checking the time because I was like, how much longer of this movie can there be? Mm. And it was only two hours. So um, I yeah. did feel like a lot of it could have been cut and it would still have been a good movie. Okay. But, but I did enjoy it much yeah. more than I thought I would. Yeah. I think you and I went in with a little bit of an advantage of knowing that this was a weird filmmaker. I think a lot of people have gone to see this movie thinking, oh, it's going to be a bit of fun about the, you know, the Queen, mm. Queen Anne, and they don't really know a lot about it. And then they're like, oh, well, this is quite something. I, I've heard, I hear some stories about people like taking their mum and, <laughs> and, and even being then, surprised I by don't it. think it's but, that inaccessible, honestly. No. Like, even if you were a bit surprised by how it went, mm. it's not like, it's not really playing with that many conventions of film or anything. It's a pretty straightforward narrative. It goes to a few extremes in terms of the comedy and stuff, but I don't feel like it's that unusual, especially watching a lot of like the television that's around now and how they show, you know, history and stuff. I feel like it's not that yeah. wild. No. To be honest. And I really, really enjoyed this. I thought it was really good. Yeah. Um, it's definitely more up your alley than mine. Yeah. So. I, I'm a bit of a royal royal history buff and I just thought I thought it was really smart. And the surprising amount of this was I don't know that much about Queen Anne other than the whole she lost seventeen babies thing, which I think everybody if you know anything about her, that's probably the thing you know about her. So I yeah, it was a lot of it was new to me and looking it up afterwards, a surprising amount of it is based on actual things that actually happened mm. um, in terms of Abigail, the servant, and then um, Sarah Marlborough, the favourite, and um, the machinations with the government and the war and all that sort of stuff. So that was that's surprising to me. But, I, yeah, I thought it was very good, surprising it myself because I was worried about this one being weird, but I thought it was good. I thought it was fun and I thought it was like a um, – it was a smart sort of skewering of wealth and power – and the way those systems operate in, in politics and mm. in governing of countries. And I think that's quite interesting that a Greek filmmaker like Yorgos Lanthimos could make this film because I think he's coming from the perspective of what's been happened in Greece in the last sort of 10 years as well. And I think that kind of skewering and, and humour about the rich and how terrible they can be is really good. I think also probably you're looking at somebody who um, has an outsider's perspective and is therefore much less... Um, has doesn't have the any personal attachment, I suppose. Yeah, um, um, but I feel like maybe this is stuff to get into. Yeah, um, a bit later after the spoiler warning. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. No, I, would, I don't want to talk about too much more. But I that, that those kind of themes were very interesting to me. I thought it was good. I actually didn't think it was long. I the first time I looked at my watch was probably about twenty minutes before the end. 
Okay. I think that a lot of that is to do with my just general disinterest in period pieces. Mm. It's just not my favorite genre and I get bored <laughs> when it's not like exciting. Yeah. I think. I um, understand. So that just is a me thing. Um, mm. And I did, I mean, I think if you like that, so it's great. It's a really good example of it. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely a lot less boring than a lot of the other ones <laughs> I've watched. And so, yeah, I definitely think um, if you like you know, period movies, you should go see it. Yeah, yeah. Not for everybody, but if it is for you, you'll, I think you'll get a real kick out of it. Uh, so, yeah, let's go into spoilers because there's quite a bit to talk about, I think, and to dig into. And I feel like t- telling too much about the story at all would be a, quite yeah. a spoiler because there's a lot of twists and turns. Yeah, and um, let's go into spoilers because it is really cool. Um, and despite being a true story, it's not one I knew a lot of detail about. So mm. there'll be, yeah, quite a bit of spoilers on on the film and on probably a little bit of the history that went on. So yeah. if you haven't seen it and you don't want to be spoiled and we suggest that you try not to be, turn off the podcast now and come back when you have. What I The thing that I didn't get from this movie for most of it that I think would have helped me is any kind of depth of feeling or depth of emotion. It felt so surface level for most of the movie. And then every so often you'd see these flashes of a little bit more, especially from Olivia Coleman and Rachel Weiss, that I would have liked to give this movie a bit of depth like especially when olivia coleman was sad about the loss of her children and things like that that was really good and interesting and gave me insight Mm. to the character whereas a lot of the time i was just kind of like it everything is kind of treated so lightly Mm. i guess that it it didn't have much depth of emotion to it for me and so i found it very hard to like engage with the characters in this at all i can um, yeah i can and see that. that was one of the reasons why i think i was getting bored towards the end of it. it it was an interesting line to walk because i think we talked a little bit before about an outsider perspective and i also think a lot of the actors in this are sort of outsidery bit countercultural a bit you know open to this it doesn't have reverence to the subject matter the way a lot Mm. of like a traditional period piece can be a lot more reverent especially towards monarchy and monarchs and princesses and all that kind of stuff and this isn't Mm. and so you balance off the fact that like you can see that it's kind of hard to be queen and it's really hard to be a woman in that era it's really hard to be a woman who has lost children pain is not something that is just physical but it's something that is emotional as well and you can see all that in Olivia Coleman's character, but also the movie's trying to walk a line of like a political point, mm. which may or may not work for me a little bit better, obviously, than it did for you. But it's trying to walk a line of that political point of like these people are kind of terrible and yeah. they're just playing with the lives of ordinary people and they're horrible to those who they think of as beneath them and they're throwing around ridiculous sums of money and indulgence and all this kind of stuff. So it's he's trying to walk that line, I think. Yeah. I just, for me, it's not about reverence towards royalty or anything. It's about caring about characters, which, you know, yeah. when I don't care about characters, it's always hard for me to get into a movie. I did really enjoy this and thought it was really funny, but because that wore off, like, you know, the the kind of effect of that wore off about mm. an hour in, that's when I started to lose interest because I'm mm. like, unless you've got a character that I really care about and um interested in what happens to them mm. i'm just kind of not going to stay interested in it mm. so yeah that that was my uh, probably my biggest problem with it but that i mean it is the style of the film i suppose but then i had a similar problem with killing of a sacred deer too that i didn't couldn't access it because i didn't care about anybody yeah uh, and so yeah and maybe it, that's a filmmaker style thing as well well and in, he's clearly prioritizing 
people's self-interest and manipulation mm. and the way they behave in the politics over the getting too deeply into that stuff. It almost seems like towards the end of the movie, Lady Marlborough was really interested in actually changing things for the better in her country and protecting mm. her country. She says that a lot in the movie, but we don't really get a sense of it being true. Yeah, and the um, what would have been – like it's a snatch of time and what would have been interesting is a little bit of history as to how Lady Marlborough got into that position – because obviously there were sensible and smart decisions that she made that meant that the Queen trusted her, right? And, and they then, were childhood friends. They hinted yeah, that a lot. But they, they do talk about that. that but obviously becoming the favourite and becoming the political mastermind, obviously there was, you know, there's a reason for that. And a little bit towards the end we see how the Queen struggles to deal with her own papers and stuff like that um, yeah, when she doesn't have Lady Marlborough there. But it would have been useful to have that at the start because yeah. you're very much on Emma Stone's side the whole way through because she's your point of view character. She's the point of view character. I don't know that I was ever particularly on her side. I mean, I had some sympathy for her until about half an hour into the movie and then I'm like, I mean, she's – considerably more awful than everybody else mm. from yeah, most of the she's movie and horrible. so and, yeah. but the thing is like it doesn't you get a little bit of sympathy for her at the beginning and a little bit of sympathy for um for Sarah at the end mm. i'm going to use so many names cuz i just got so confused yeah. with well, all the I names mean, for the Sarah, characters Sarah Abigail and the queen you could probably be the yeah. easiest way to but yeah for Sarah i sort of started to feel bad for her at the end but like mm it would have been really interesting to see what their motivations were and what their sort of interests were in things a little bit more, a little bit earlier mm. so that I could get in a, a sense of who the characters were Yeah, okay. um, for me. I don't know. It, it's hard to explain. It's just I really had trouble connecting with the characters in this. Yeah. And I was like, well, of course they're going to do that. They're all awful. <laughs> of course this is going to happen. So I think – like I was most interested in most of the time what Nicholas Hoult was doing because I completely understood where that character was coming from. I knew what he wanted and I was like, you know, I understood what he was doing. He was such a delightful surprise because I he didn't, was so good. I didn't know he was going to be in it either. Mm. And he was so freaking great. Yeah. Yeah. And he was, he was completely transparent. Exactly. He was always really transparent. And the thing is like, there's a lot of stuff, especially in the end of the film where they're like, Sarah doesn't lie. She always tells the truth and she doesn't lie. And I was like, didn't she lie a bunch in the beginning like, of the movie? Yeah, we didn't see that at all. Yeah, exactly. I was like, what are you talking yeah, about? That's so confusing. So, um, but he right. was the whole way through. I was like, I know what he wants. He's great in this movie. So every time he showed up, I was kind of delighted, even when he was being horrible, mm. because it was so clear what he wanted and what he was doing. And mm. like, he was just great. Yeah. He was great in this. Um, I've always liked him, but man, I didn't know that he could do like a period piece this well, you know. He just kind of lit up the screen whenever he was yeah, on it. he was fantastic. It's interesting actually, like w when you talk about like the favourite versus like a career politician, like the whole idea of favourites, like Queen Anne is obviously very famous for having, you know, Sarah as her favourite, but like there's a whole long history of like kings who've got some mm -hmm. guy. It's almost always sometimes the same gender and there's almost always – um, rumors of sexual relationships with this person. They've, they've, the whole favorite thing happens over and over again, and it always makes the like the king or queen look like a patsy, and the favorite look really manipulative. Mm -hmm. Whereas the favorite is really just kind of doing the same thing as the politician guy. They're just sort mm. of they have to be more covert about it, I guess. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, and I actually quite enjoyed the political mm. stuff. Um, and the thing is, Emma Stone is very bad 
at the political stuff. Yeah, yeah. She is manipulating purely for personal gain in this film, whereas most of the others are manipulating because they actually want things for the country and sometimes those things um, are at odds with each other and sometimes, right, they align. But because she's so self-centered and so selfish, then ultimately I think that's why you discover that she's a terrible person over the course of the film is that she's so self-motivated. Yeah. Which is understandable given the position she's come from, mm-hmm. but there's a point at which she could just stop. Yeah. And she doesn't. She keeps going and going and pushing and pushing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was but saying, I mean, same thing with Rachel Weiss, although. Um, but her motivations are quite different. And because of her position, you know, as a well, as a duchess and as um, like married to a very powerful guy and all that kind of stuff, she's coming at it from a different like because things that are good for the country are good for her mm-hmm. like manipulating the way taxes happen or who runs the army or and land and things like that she has those things to start with that kind of wealth mm. and so yeah her personal interests and the political ones align a bit better but yes she's also it turns out actually good at her job yes whereas when abigail comes in a lot of that falls apart because mm. she just doesn't have any interest and isn't any good at it no her only real contribution is comparing war to a party. Yeah, and the bit where she comes in and she's doing the privy purse, I'm like, who would trust her with the bloody treasury? Yeah, exactly. Like, good grief. And she, in the movie, clearly manipulates it to make it look like Marlborough's stealing mm. when he's not. Mm. Historically, that may not be true, but um, in the movie, that's definitely the case, mm. is well, that she's manipulating. Historically, the outcome was the same. They got sent away. They didn't, yes. couldn't come back to England until after the Queen had died. Right. Surely that wouldn't have been long, though. Is After a couple this, of years. this movie yeah. is set because she is she declines in health significantly over the course of the movie. Yeah, by the end, it looks like she's Bell's palsy or something. It's yeah, really... I think a stroke because she couldn't move her hand. Yeah, either. she was in pretty bad shape. She was flopping mm-hmm. her hand around. So mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure she had a yeah, stroke yeah. rather. Than... I mean, like given what she went through, I'm not surprised in the time she lived in and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, no, her health was really not good. And 17 children. Yeah, that's what, she, so, that I, that's what I mean when I say what she went through. Oh, okay. Most women who've had more than about three kids have health problems from it. Like mm. pregnancy is a shit ton of burden on the body. Mm. And in that era with no proper medical help and she's clearly got some kind of problem that is causing a whole lot of well, – she or her 17 by has, 49. God. In about like 16 years as well. Yeah. It's horrifying. And her husband was obviously dead by the time this movie yeah, happened. Yeah, I don't know how he died. Um, but, yeah, and that's right, and she's 49 at this point. So, And the last pregnancy had been like uh, 10 years earlier at this point. It's crazy. Like, it's crazy. It's just awful. Um, yeah, so her, her health would have been shot. Like I'm not surprised her health was the way it was. Yeah. I'm just thinking back as well to that scene where she talks to Emma Stone about that and Emma Stone – tears up and it seems to be genuine and you're like it's so strange her journey in this movie abigail's it's it is like it it's a real 180 yeah like yeah you see stomping on the rabbit at the end and i was like wow okay horrifying yeah because she does actually seem to have even though she's very clearly from the start manipulative and out for you know and ambitious and all that kind of stuff and out to get as high as she can she like the stomping on the rabbit thing and they're throwing glasses around as well. Mm. Like someone who's been a servant throwing glassware at the wall just to see it smash. Like that kind of, yeah, that horrific, really massive turnaround mm. that she has is quite a lot. Yeah, it is. It's a lot. It's a lot to, yeah. I did find the the ending also a little bit, little bit unsatisfying. Yes. Yes, I did too. 
because I'm like, oh, okay. Especially since it drifted on, like, it could have just ended with Sarah being sent away. Mm. And it drifted on for such a long time after that, but didn't really add anything to it. That was like a solid yeah. nearly half an hour before the film actually ended. And it, Yeah, and it seemed like it was just about the power struggle between the two of them and the Queen trying to reassert uh, that she's the boss with Abigail. But, the, but I think like, the problem is that it doesn't actually, that last half hour doesn't actually add anything to the plot. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like it it just reinforces the status quo of what happened when she sent Sarah away. Yeah, and, and how so, Abigail went completely off the rails. Right. I mean, the, yeah, I suppose the only thing it really adds is showing Abigail going completely off the rails. But I just felt like, mm. I was like, but we know kind of, it doesn't add anything that we didn't kind of know by the time that Sarah was sent away mm. that couldn't have been told in five minutes instead of like 30 yeah. or nearly. It was about 25 minutes before the end of the movie that that happened. And mm. I was like, because uh, I looked at my phone, and I was like, how is there still that much time left of this when yeah. like the that story actually, seems to be finished? Funny, that's the time I about I looked at my watch too. But for me, it was the first time. But yeah, that, that ending was a bit weird. And then it goes into the world's worst credits. <laughs> like you, they're unreadable font no it's not the font it's the kerning like and the justification it's, yeah it's just awful somebody you, really really went hard at the justification on it and it's basically unreadable credits so you kind of like you're left with this the ending which basically is the screen going fuzzy on the two of them and uh the, and the queen and the yeah well no rubbing her legs um yeah but the, no the rabbits are superimposed yeah, onto, oh, yeah that's right the rabbits come in yeah and it has sound because i was analyzing it as it was happened and it has like these sound effects of like fire and then the mm, duck shootings yeah, and yeah. all that stuff that like all the stuff that led her to this point in time in her life yeah yeah and you know yeah this is what she is it's all very meaningful but it, it is all very meaningful but it's also boring <laughs> yeah and long that. and then there's like a full 30 seconds of black screen yes nobody knew what to do and then mm. like the credit started and yeah and the surprisingly full cinema just kind of filed out no yeah. one stayed <laughs> There were three people behind us. Um, a couple of people stayed. But, yeah, Yorgos Lanthimos does like to make you uncomfortable, so mm-hmm. that's that not surprising. But, yeah, so I feel like for me the first kind of hour of this movie is really, really good. Mm. There's so much good writing in it. There's mm. so much so good writing. Good. <laughs> There's one – at one point Nicholas Hult says that Masham is <laughs> struck. Yeah. Which was maybe <laughs> my favourite, like, phrasing of the whole movie. Mm. It was so awful but so on point Mm. that I really liked it and yeah the writing is so clever and so witty and it's also like the first hour I think especially balances Emma Stone's rubber face kind of reactions to everything Mm. with Rachel Weisz's very contained witticisms Mm -hmm. and that is so much fun to watch yes and that's where it really shines is in those two different approaches to the thing so Mm. i think that may be why like once it gets to the end and everybody's kind of more extremely one way or the other and it's trying to tell us things about the character we didn't know before you're kind of like what and and because you kind of thought you knew what the movie was yeah it's not just the queen who is very into the rival like the the rivalry is where it shines the most because Mm. the two of them have to be on top of their game to beat each other yeah and Um, it's really you're really tense and interested in what's going to happen yeah and when um and when Sarah starts to fall, like when Sarah's fall begins, it's like it's less interesting because it's much better when, yeah, the tension is there for the two, for both of them. It's, yeah, and her fall both- is a solid hour, like solid back half of the movie. Mm. Yeah, when she comes back and she's just not in the same position of power anymore. Mm. It, I feel like the balance maybe could have been a little better. But 
I did enjoy Sarah wandering around the castle with the black lace. Over oh my god, her face. such a drama! And the, I really loved the way they used music cues with her. Mm. She always got these dramatic musical cues when she oh, yeah. entered and exited rooms, and it was amazing because it was so. Rachel Weiss has the presence to carry it off as well. Yeah, talk about knowing how to make an entrance when they've got that party, the, the music mm. concert bit, and she comes in and she just like when every eye on the room is suddenly on her and nobody can do what they were doing before yeah. because she's just, you know, grand entrance. That's right. And, um, and it echoes, but not exactly, the way Abigail makes her entrance, which when the the guy has assaulted her in the carriage and she falls mm. out of the carriage and she's covered in mud. Mm. Whereas Abigail kind of seems a bit, you know, thrown by it, although she manages to make it work. But when Sarah does it, like, it's really a thing. Yeah. I am glad that Rachel Weiss is getting a lot of attention for this because mm. she's great and has always been overshadowed by her um, co-stars. No, uh, but you know how I have this confusion with her and Kate Winslet? Yes. But Kate Winslet's always gotten more attention than she has. Yeah. Like, has always been thought of as, like, more prestige actress and things mm-hmm. than Rachel Weisz has. And so now I'm like, yay, she's getting more attention because I've always liked her. I mean, Rachel Weisz has an Oscar. She won an Oscar while pregnant for a Darren Aronofsky film, I think. Really? Mm. Yeah, like I in the that happening. mid-aughts. I can see why you um, – I feel like maybe Constant Gardener. Which Maybe. is not a no, it's not Aronofsky. An Aronofsky film, I don't know but why she was in that. I'm linking her with Aronofsky, but I for some reason no, I, she was because she was in Requiem. For, uh, not Requiem. No, the reason I'm linking them is they have the, a baby. The together. Fountain. She was in the Fountain, which is Aronofsky, mm. which we didn't like much, and that I think they were like yeah, they were together, and she was in that, mm. but she definitely didn't win an Oscar for that, and I don't can't think of any other Aronofsky movie she was in around that time. Yeah, she won an Oscar for the Constant Gardener, okay. but it was in the mid aughts, 2005. Um, I didn't. Yeah, I vaguely remember Constant Gardener being a thing, and nobody. It's one of those ones. That I just remember her winning an remembers. Oscar while like very heavily pregnant. Okay, I didn't know she won an Oscar. Um, Is Kate Winslet won an Oscar. No, I, I, I think she might have, but it's. I don't know. I don't get them mixed up at all. They have very different hair. I know. And faces I don't. Th- I, when I look and at voices, them, when I look at them, I don't think they're the same person at all. Right? Yeah. I don't like get them confused in terms of who they are. Mm. I get confused in terms of who was in what movie. Mm. Like. Yeah, I, I she's will, got an Oscar. I will think, around the same era. Yeah, that's probably why yeah. I get them mixed up because they got they've come up together. They're in mm. very similar movies. Yeah, they have very similar careers. And yeah, yeah. like, I will do things like think that Rachel Weisz is in Eternal Sunshine right. when it's Kate Winslet and stuff like that because, like, yeah, it's just this thing where like they just seem to have had such similar careers and been in such similar movies mm. that I just get which one was in which movie confused, not <laughs> who they are confused. Right. Okay. If I look at a picture of Kate Winslet, I don't go, oh, that's Rachel Weisz. But if you ask me who was in a certain movie, I might say one of them instead of the other. Uh. And it's just because I think they were in such similar movies at such similar times and always yeah. – and they probably won Oscars very close together. I can together see that. I just the- – I kind of have a bit more of an attachment to Rachel Weisz because of The Mummy. Yeah. So, that's the one that like yeah. – because, yeah, that's the same thing for me. I'm always like, oh, I like Rachel Weisz better because I like The Mummy and not Titanic. <laughs> well, yeah, I've never really like been in love with any of the movies Kate Winslet's done. So, yeah. I like, like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. It's mm-hmm. probably why I think Rachel Weisz was in it because yeah. <laughs> I like her better. Yeah. So, but I, always, I do feel like she's less – I just feel like she's less famous for some reason. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Um, I can, I and can people see definitely that. respected Titanic more but yeah, than Save the Mummy. But yeah, in terms of the um, 
in terms of the the acting Oscars that are undoubtedly going to this film, obviously, um, I think Olivia Coleman's in the they put her in the lead category, and they put Vice and Stone up against one another in supporting. I think, um, although obviously the Oscar nominations haven't actually been announced yet, although the Golden Globes will be um, run and won by the time this podcast comes out. Emma Stone and Olivia Coleman have the showier roles, whereas Rachel Vice is like has the better role. Has a, yeah, yes, she does, and she has I think more to do. Mm. Well, I think. Yeah, I I feel like Emma Stone doesn't do as much of the emotional heavy lifting as Rachel Weisz. Mm. And Rachel Weisz's line delivery is a lot better. Mm-hmm. Emma Stone's got that English accent thing to c- contend with. Mm. But her expressions and everything are so good and her physical yeah, presence yeah. Her is so good. Her face is so, so it's great. Like, Which is why it's showier because she gets to do some really great face. Yeah. I don't know. I said hers is better, but I don't know. I think it's only because it's got more emotional weight. Mm. Um, Sarah's got more emotional weight than Abigail. And they could have given Abigail probably more emotional weight. They just don't – doesn't seem to want to, which Mm. I find strange. Like it just seems to commit wholly to she's a horrible person by the end of it, Mm. which I was like, I don't understand why. Yeah. I don't understand why she becomes so awful by the end. I also kind of feel like while he was researching for this, Yorgos Lanthimos was like, I don't I don't believe they did this in this time. Throw it in the movie. You know? Like the duck thing and the throwing the peaches at the naked guy thing just oh, the seemed goose to be racing. That was so funny. Yeah, exactly. That just to me was like Oh, those seem like the things they absolutely did in that time. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Like he was reading up on the history right, and he he's went trying to find Here's a funny the anecdote. Most outrageous things that people did in that time yeah yeah or he would just find come across an outrageous thing and be like mm. put that in the movie because those scenes were so mm. just kind of there and added nothing and you're just mm. like oh yes rich people had a lot of money yeah i i wonder i'm just th- thinking about the dynamic between the women and how we sort of they we found it easier to access some of the male characters i wonder if there's something around like a difficulty you know there's falling into some tropes about how power relationships and work between women, but I don't, I, I, I don't kind know. I also feel like though, if this was a movie about all men and there was one woman role that was like written as clearly as yeah. Nicholas Hultz's, we probably would have gone, I loved her in this movie yeah. because the problem is that like, it was more that he was so clear yeah. in everything. And it's not like we're going, oh, Joe Olwen was great in this movie. God, no. Because I literally forgot he, he was. He's the male Amber Heard. He's the person we just like, we see in movies and we've seen, he's been in like, he's in like three Oscar movies this year and we're like, who? Wait, yeah. what was that guy? <laughs> literally, yeah. we were driving out of the p- car park and you were like, Joe Olwen, he, I was like, oh, was that the prime minister guy? And you were like, no, he was the husband. And I was like, what do you mean? Mark Gatiss was the husband. Cause I literally forgot that that whole storyline existed mm-hmm. in this movie, you know? And like, there's some kind of flirtiness between him and Emma Stone, but I never really bought into that relationship either. No, it was always very clearly like a relationship of convenience. Yeah. So yeah, that if they'd given that a bit of depth, maybe it would have been, you would have had something to hold on to with Emma Stone. Mm. I don't know. And and he's so boring. You just forget so he's in boring. it every time he's in it. Yeah. Like if he's on screen, I'm watching somebody else. I just could not. His stunt double, when they did that scene where they wrestle in the woods, mm. did a good job. I thought that was quite <laughs> yeah. well done for the for, by the stunt team there. But yeah. Yeah, exactly. That was much more entertaining. <laughs> the person whose face we couldn't see. He was just Oh, and when dull. he danced with um, – Rachel Weiss. Again, possibly the stunt team, but that was kind of funny. Was that him? Yeah, it was him at the beginning. <laughs> I've forgotten about it because it's quite a no, long, long movie. I remember the scene 
like I remember her dancing with a guy that she uh. had picked out of the I didn't know it was him. So that tells you how much I was paying attention to that but guy. But that, that was a really fun scene there where they oh like do God, all this really great. incongruous modern dancing. Yeah, the swing and the so break dancing in the middle. Freaking of it. funny. Great. It was great. It's wonderful. Like that's what I mean. The first hour is so good. And like some of the lines are just brilliant. And it must and have been so much fun for these actors. Like you can sort of see how much fun they're having at do, at being asked to do some of the outrageous stuff that they're doing. Yeah. Um, like most of my notes are from that part and then the mm. rest of it I'm like, yeah. I only had a few that were like the spinning cameras and that fisheye lens yes. kind of made me dizzy. I saw, I was, saw that too. I don't know. I didn't mind the fisheye lens because the way it kind of went through the kitchen at the start, yeah. it made me – like it, it sort of gave me a perspective I hadn't seen on that and then they use it again in the queen's bedroom which mm. the queen's bedroom is kind of the main set mm. of the whole thing so you kind of get really get to know that room and they kind of i think they do try a lot of different things with how they film i don't know, I didn't mind i didn't mind i wonder the if islands. they were filming on location yeah well and yeah like all the rooms were closed and so they were kind of trying to show you the whole room like uh, but stuck in a corner or something like that it, yeah i mean that's but, Likely. And I didn't mind the fisheye lens when it wasn't moving quickly, mm-hmm. but when it would do that spin around and show you something, I would get dizzy. Yeah, I sometimes get bothered by that, but I wasn't this time. I yeah. have I have been known to get bothered by that in other um, um, films, though. Yeah, and one of my other notes is um, there's a lot of vomiting in this movie. So yeah, if yeah. you're emetophobic. Yeah, there's a lot of vomiting in um, uh, sacred well, – Killing of a sacred deer. Yeah, well, sacred deer and, and this – it's a Yorgoslavimus thing of like – it's not just vomiting, but like rich food and like decaying food and all that. And he's very into that sort of mm-hmm. those that sort of imagery and, and the the like sort of gritty humanities human stuff, like the vomiting and the like bodily stuff. He's it doesn't the vo- vomiting is as bad as it gets in this one, but it's very it's very much an occupation preoccupation of his. I think he's trying to kind of humanize the the wealthy and powerful a bit, like where we all have digestive systems that we must deal with. Yes. I don't vomit as much as the people in this movie though. No. I mean um, I yeah, no, and I went into it feeling a bit queasy as well. So I was like, oh God. Especially when she's lot. eating the cake. So I'm having trouble eating sweet things at the moment and she eats cake, throws it up, and I was just like, oh God. Ugh. And then goes back and eats more. Yep. I which was, is a very, very much a rich people of that time thing. Yeah, yeah. It's it that kind of level of indulgence mm. and being indulged like the servants have to put up with it as well um yeah no it, it just i just noticed mm. there was a lot of vomiting in the movie yeah yeah i wish i noted a few more of the lines but i didn't we were I, surrounded by people yeah it wasn't so a really good opportunity to, my... to take notes i wish i had too because rachel vice had some amazing lines just her walking down that hallway and just like destroying everybody in sight yeah. was incredible you can have the flower budget you spend one minute one penny more i'll pull out your fingernails or yeah whatever. Amazing. I'll take. I think it was. I'll take your fingernails in in lieu or something like that. That yeah. was just like, yeah, and something about plucking out somebody else's and when, eyes and all yeah, sorts of she's stuff. She's writing to the queen and she's like, "I want to stab you in the eye." I think I dreamt about stabbing you in the eye. That's it. Yeah, yeah. It was one of the titles, so I remember mm. that one. Yeah, the interstitial, the, the little titles of each chapter. I'm very over that as a trope in movies at the moment. But that was in something else we saw recently. Mm. I don't remember. At least the titles had something to do. Like, I didn't mind that they were little quotes because mm. then I could look forward to that little quote being said in yeah, the yeah, section yeah. and you'd be kind of trying to pay attention to it and it would be drawing your attention to something that he wanted you to notice. So I didn't mind that so much. I just thought 
it was the same as something else this year where there's so many of them and you're like why are there so many chapters to this and why are you trying to make it mm. like this is this a is chapter like eight chapters it's weird it's not like there's an act structure to it or anything it's just let's have eight or nine chapters yeah that don't yeah it's not and that that might be why that lag at the end is so frustrating as well mm. it, it yeah it is a bit of a conceit and but it, it's it because it keeps breaking up the action like mm. it keeps breaking up the movie and I didn't need this movie to be broken up more because I was already kind of like eh, yeah. okay not in the first hour first hour was great yeah first hour of this movie I highly recommend I just wish they'd cut some of the second hour I feel like the whole second half of the movie could have happened mm. in half an hour yeah yep like you know because basically um, Sarah's already on her way out and dragging out her demise for that long feels both cruel. And like inevitable, so you're just kind of like, I get it. I yeah, get it, and I get and you it. see, uh, and it's just kind of dragging out Sarah's political demise and the Queen's physical one. It is, but also like, I think there was always a tension at the beginning of like some kind of violence might happen or mm. like somebody might try and murder somebody else or yeah. do something, and then I realized also that that tension was gone in the second half because it had happened, right? And, yeah, and yeah, it had happened, and then nobody tried to do it again i also th- thought it was really odd that sarah just never tells anybody that abigail's sabotaging her yeah she just leaves it's very strange mm. i don't know i don't know whether that's historically accurate or them trying to make sense well, of the I history mean, perhaps yeah she's i mean she had enough money and enough power that she, and she doesn't want to make too much of the lesbian affairs stuff so yeah, she doesn't want to that's right so i think it, it might just have been that she was you know, a little bit more kind of saw the writing on the wall and just sort of withdrew valiantly. But it also could be that in real life, Abigail didn't make nearly as many moves to actively sabotage people and therefore Mm. there's not a lot of history of Sarah hating her or anything and so they don't have a lot to put in. Yeah, yeah, it's possible. Like that's kind of how it felt to me. Mm -hmm. Like they were really playing up how much Abigail had a hand in it where it could have just been like Anne lost interest in Sarah, she's getting older or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, rather than the way they kind of portray it. Yeah, yeah. I think that might be it really. It might be a hard thing to kind of talk about because Sarah's life is fairly well documented mm-hmm. and Anne's life is well documented obviously but Abigail's less so. Yeah, so they could use her as a tool. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I did want to say about it was I read this thing there's an interview with Olivia Coleman before the, well before the movie came out here, but people had seen it overseas and they were talking about whether the movie was like feminist or anti-feminist, mm. like because it showed women in a horrible light. And you're like, this is exactly what we need in yeah, terms yeah. of women in movies because it just shows women doing politics and yeah. like being involved in the highest positions of power in history without ever making it about them being women. Well, yeah, I, I was thinking that because there's a scene that um, made me think of Wonder Woman where um, Rachel Weisz is looking into Parliament mm. and she won't go in because, as we learned in Wonder Woman, women weren't allowed into British chambers of Parliament for mm. some time. But, of course, the Queen has to go in there because she is the boss. And um, then when she is, Rachel Weisz is, like, sitting in the corner as yeah, well. So she's but obviously it, yeah, allowed yeah, to go in with She's obviously very influential and it's clear that it's actually just the film does some actually some interesting thinking about gender as well mm. in terms of makeup and hair mm-hmm. and things like that. And the men are all bewigged and wearing heels and really fancy outfits, and they all wear makeup. Um, both genders wear makeup, but the men actually are shown wearing more of it in this film. So it's kind of interesting thinking about those kind of things. And and like I, I said, think that's more that we see the women in private more. Mm, that's true. We see when they're in 
public. They they're do. wearing as much makeup as the men, but mm-hmm. we see them more often when they're not in public. Yeah. Um, except for Sarah, who doesn't wear a lot ever. I loved her look with the scar at the end too. But anyway, I know, she was cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then as I talked about before, like I think there's there are some traps you can fall into when you've got women who are you know political rivals, mm. but it's it's pretty good at skating that. Um, yeah, it definitely didn't feel like a kind of mean girls. I'm just spiting her to spider thing. Yeah. It was like we have actual interests that are um, that are up against each other, and this is you know yeah, and it showed the men being as manipulative as the women and all this yeah. sort of stuff that just and the women being as aggressive as the men mm. um that scene when nicholas hiltz is like right up in her face was so cool and, and absolutely everyone had agency in the decisions they were yeah. making like as much as marlborough just assumed she could manipulate the queen she couldn't as much as other people tried to manipulate the queen they couldn't either everybody was making their own decisions and you could see why they made their decisions mm. except for abigail which was one of the problems at the end yeah i could see why she made the decisions Otherwise, it's that last little bit where yeah. she's squashing rabbits and throwing glasses against the wall. Exactly. That's the bit that with Abigail where they loses the plot and she just kind of goes full on evil. I think it's that thing of like if you make one cruel decision, you suddenly become a cruel person all the time. Yeah. And that was what was weird because like they show Anne and Sarah often making cruel decisions earlier Mm. but gave them a lot more sympathy and they didn't do that for Abigail Mm. um but yeah in terms of like depiction of women I feel like there's a lot of that subtle kind of you know or not so subtle when they're talking about rape and everything but Mm. it doesn't detract from their agency like you were saying and it also doesn't it isn't the main focus of their storylines. It is a part of their lives, but it is not the whole of their lives. Yeah, it's just interesting how the sort of rape and sex as currency and is kind of just kind of woven in there mm. as something that happens, and it affects them all in different ways. Obviously, Abigail has um, has been raped, and is we see her assaulted at the very beginning, and it, it's just kind of made her uh, really hard about the world. Sarah, you know, uses it, recognizes the value of having a heterosexual marriage and and using that position but also her relationship with the queen and how she uses sex to manipulate her and all that kind of stuff and then for the queen like men sex with men has just been a disaster for her because it led to 17 failed pregnancies Mm -hmm. so like you kind of see how um, a particularly female experience of sex and power yeah goes into their lives but it's not like it's not like heavy-handed it's just Mm -hmm. that's part of who they are yeah, and so I think to sort of say this is not a feminist film because it shows me- women being mean to each other, I'm like, well, it's exactly what a feminist film is because it's not uh, – it, yeah, it's uh, it's just about women. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, men are side characters in it, as and, women and, have always been in movies. Men up and stories. Now, and and so. it's a piece of history that like, I wasn't aware of and is really fascinating. Yeah. Because Queen Anne, like a lot of stuff that happened with Queen Anne and with her – like she inherited the throne from her brother who was also childless. I shouldn't say she was childless, but, you know, she didn't have any um, heirs. Heirless. Yeah, but he was actually childless. And, like, and it was – she, you know, had the – that was kind of the time of the act of settlement when they – Britain became – actually became Protestant and wouldn't allow Catholics on the throne. Like a lot happened in that period of history. I don't know a lot about it. And I don't either. I don't know who it was after these her. These women – I was thinking about that. I was like, who is going to inherit the throne um, then? But I didn't. So well, – she put into place something called the Act of Settlement, which still is in power today. And it got changed in like 2013 to allow women to succeed, but uh, women to succeed um, ahead of their brothers. Mm. But basically the, it meant that the 
the descendants of the Electress of Hanover, which is the German family that still rules Britain today, mm. um, the male line descendants would inherit the throne of Britain. That came into being because she and her brothers all died without heirs. Mm. Um, and so these German cousins of the family um, inherited it. That's what okay, happened. Okay, so who who was the – The first, the next guy was George I. And then there's a whole series of Georges, including George III, who you might know from Hamilton. Yes. Yeah. So jo- that was George. And then the king's speech was also George, right? He's George VI. So right. – yeah, I'm clearly not very good at all this stuff because I know I know so I mean, little. But there's no reason. But it's not like it's there was a reason to know all this crap. If I like I what I need is like a visual timeline of like this movie is about this. <laughs> so <laughs> so okay, no, I can give you a little bit though. This movie is set around 1711. Um mm-hmm. Anne is 47 years old. She has been on the throne since 1702. Her husband died a couple of years before that in 1700. No, what I meant was, <laughs> that's yeah. very interesting. What I meant was like, like just give me a list of movies and put them on a timeline. So you just put movies on a timeline yep. and I can go, oh, this happened before that and that happened before that just by looking at what the okay, movies so are. So Mary Queen of Scots is like 150 years before this. Okay. I really thought that was after. King but okay. James Bible good to know. around 100 years earlier. Okay. Shakespeare died about 100 years earlier. Right. So all that stuff that I know about was earlier. Yeah. And then like uh, about 60 years later, Hamilton. Right. That's what I need. Somebody just do that. Like make a visual <laughs> chart of like the history of all of the English monarchs with just the movies that are set at that time. Yeah. You can stick an Outlaw King somewhere. I saw yeah. that recently. I know that like, happened. Uh, yeah. Well, that is like way earlier, right? Yeah, like it's before Mary Queen of Scots by about 300 years. Yeah. But that's what I mean. Just like, just like a visual timeline of all of it. That's one of those things that you're like, such and such was happening at the same time as the pyramids were being built. Yeah, and- I, I don't, I don't actually know what much else was happening at this time. I do, like, apart from the whole succession crisis, which I just sort of talked about. Yeah, um, which is, yeah, obviously a thing. But yeah, it's it's not a period of history that people know about, which is why it's great fodder for a movie. Because firstly, it's a great story, and yeah. it's mostly true the great story parts of it. Hmm. And secondly, people don't know about it. So you can watch the movie and they probably can take a little bit of license, but they actually didn't take nearly as much license as you think they have. Yeah, exactly. That sort of stuff tends to help me contextualize things as well. When I watch a movie like this in isolation, like to me, it could have happened any time in in England's history up until like there were phones. I Yeah, and I would have liked – I know it's a convention and, and you know, Yorgos Lanthimos is not about convention, but the, you know, beginnings and ending titles, does it just give you a little bit of something that's, you know, putting you in your place and, and working you out, mm. working out where you are? Instead, because the only information that you have is what's contained in the movie and, I mean, you know, you may – you bring to it however much you know about stuff. And this is 300 years ago, more than 300 mm. years ago, so people aren't going to know a lot about it. Yeah, for the most part. Anyway, should we rate the film? Oh, yeah. I want to talk about just a couple more things. Okay. Um, the lighting, they seem to be shooting on set, and I look, just looked it up. It's Hatfield House, which is um, the palace most closely associated with Queen Elizabeth I. And it it was actually lit like it really was the 1700s. Like the only lighting seemed to come from candles or like the sunlight coming into rooms. Mm. I thought that was really – I thought that looked really good. Again, something I noticed more in the first half than the second, but it was very clever. Um, I did notice that. It reminded me of um, 
the Sophia Coppola. Um, Marie Antoinette? No, no, no. The one uh, with Nicole Kidman, The House. Oh, was yeah, really The Beguiled. Good. The Beguiled, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It reminded oh, me a bit of The Beguiled. Um, yeah, it, me, me too. The Beguiled um, is a lot softer. This has got brighter colours. Yeah, but. but it was kind of, you really notice it, like the servants wandering around with the candles and stuff like yeah. that. And the, the, there's a bit where she goes into the library and there's all these candles right near the books. I'm like, mm. oh, my God, what a fire hazard. Um, but, yeah, that, I thought that was very clever. I think Rachel else. Weiss right near the book is, books is much more of a hazard to the books than the candles based on what happened later. Clearly. Yeah. I liked her, that she wasn't afraid of, like, physically threatening people. That was really entertaining to me. I oh, my that. God. When she stands up to Nick Holt, yeah. like, that is amazing because he's, he's so tall yeah. and he's got the big wig and the, you know, the men's heeled shoes and she just, like, stands her ground and looks up at him and just it's so much fun yeah well he's just so easily kind of i mean he only wields power over those who are already weaker than him yeah yeah and he's kind of like this guy who's they the fact that that he's so tall as well like he's clearly used to using his physical strength against people yeah but it's interesting as well because he's like um as manipulative and as much of a shit as he is he's also genuinely interested in the well-being of the country more than almost Anybody well, else's? The thing he cares about the most is that, and he's the leader of the Tory party, so the Conservatives. Um, he, the thing he seems to care the most about is that he doesn't want the land tax doubled, and that's because he's a rich guy who owns a lot of land. Land taxes affect the very wealthy. Yeah. So, you know. But he's also like, he his interests are like are, are political and are like, you know, yeah. he's talking about stuff that's happening in the that Queen he, Anne has no idea about. No, yeah, he's like he's really actually, paying attention to yes, the public, knows what's going on in the country as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Queen Anne's just completely. And she's like, let's get some people in. And Marlborough's like, um, no. <laughs> when they had at the beginning, of the very first scene of the movie, I think, is when she gives um Sarah Castle. Yeah, yeah, Blenheim Palace, and she's like, oh yeah, we've won the war, and she's like, the war's not finished. <laughs> She's like, oh, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was really interesting. Yeah, that was funny. Sorry, we can we can wrap up now. Okay. So ratings? Um, I don't know. I kind of want to give it four stars because I feel like it deserves four stars even though it wasn't that engaging to me. Yeah. Like for me, I think it's at about, sits at about three and a half. Mm. But I know that I'm biased against these kinds of movies. Well, see, the funny thing is I had written down in my – my movie log that I'm finally keeping, I'd written four stars and talking about it, I was like, is it three and a half or is it four? But I think it's four because I really enjoy yeah. it. I'm going to say four just for people who would enjoy it because like mm. a lot of the problems I had were just because I wasn't as engaged because I don't enjoy period pieces mm. very much for whatever reason. I don't even know why it is because I know this movie was good and I just don't. We all have genres that we don't, you don't like romantic comedies. I don't like horror that much. Like yeah. you, everyone has kinds of movies that just aren't their thing like yeah it's just a so thing. i'm but i'm gonna give it four stars because i feel like it deserves it was really good yeah so okay. yeah four stars okay thank you very much for listening to the silver screen queens podcast if you would like show notes or old episodes they're on our website silverscreenqueens.com and if you want to find us on social media we're at screen underscore queens on twitter and facebook.com forward slash silver screen queens thank you for listening bye bye